Good morning, Greenwich. Today is Thursday. It is July 16th, and I welcome you in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ to a time of reflection and prayer through a psalm and a time of study. Uh, just a quick announcement. We are planning uh, for this coming Sunday evening uh, another one of our food drives and then another one of our outdoor gatherings, a Vespers service, a, a short prayer service. And uh, we're bringing the two together. And so it's 6 to 7 o'clock p.m. Uh, in the front parking lot by the historic chapel off Vint Hill Road. Uh, we'll be gathering uh, items. Uh, items are listed on our website that we're seeking uh, for the local uh, food banks and shelters. And then at 7 o'clock, uh, from 7 to 8, uh, in the back parking lot uh, off the patio on the east side in that grassy area, uh, that lawn area, uh, we'll be gathering. And so I invite you to bring your own lawn chair. If you wish to bring any refreshments, you may do so. Uh, it'll be a time of some singing. Uh, some other songs will be played. Uh, Big Mike Sims and some others will be uh, singing for us. So we're looking forward to that. So 6 to 7 is the food drive. 7 to 8 uh, is the Vespers service. And hope you can make it. We are asking you to register for the Vespers service just so we get a feel for how many folks are coming, okay? Uh, I want to dive into our morning psalm. It is one of my favorite psalms. It gets picked up uh, in the Easter cycle. Um, there's a uh, foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that gets uh, cited uh, in uh, the book of Acts uh, when the early preaching of the church. And so Psalm 16. Keep me safe, O God, for in you I take refuge. <clears throat> I said to the Lord, You are my Lord. Apart from you I have no good thing. As for the saints who are in the land, they are the glorious ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those will increase who run after other gods. I will not pour out their libations of blood or take up their names on my lips. Lord, you have assigned me my portion and my cup. You have made my lot secure. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. I will praise the Lord who counsels me. Even at night my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad and my tongue rejoices. My body also will rest secure. Because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the path of life. You will fill me with joy in your presence, with eternal pleasures at your right hand. And that's Psalm 16. The, the language towards the end of the psalm. My body will rest secure. You will not abandon me to the grave, nor let your Holy One see decay. That, that's the foreshadowing of the resurrection of Jesus Christ that is cited in the book of Acts as being fulfilled in the resurrection of Jesus. Though, though written long ago, <clears throat> it is uh, fulfilled. And so it's this, this hope of life uh, beyond the grave. 
And then uh, I love verse 6. The boundary lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Surely I have a delightful inheritance. It's just a, it's a, a wonderful poetic way of talking about God's favor and grace in our lives, His provision for us, uh, watching uh, over our lives. Uh, it's probably set in the context, or it, it's the, the allusion is to the dividing of the land when Israel entered the land, uh, and then uh, Joshua uh, led them to victory, and then the, the land was parceled out. And so it's this idea that the, the lot... Uh, the, the way uh, things were divided up fell in a good way. Uh, in the boundary lines, uh, you know, where the boundary of the border of one particular tribe's uh, land would be allocated, have fallen in pleasant places. There's a, a sense of being satisfied with what God provides. You have uh, provided me my portion and my cup. And so that which you have entrusted to me, that which you've given to me, Lord, I receive. Uh, as from your hand... Uh, it's adequate, your provision, you've secured my life. And so it's the kind of the, the image of having our physical lives secured and then our eternal lives secured uh, beyond the grave. And so it's a great psalm. I, I enjoy it um, and uh, hope you, you will as well. Okay, well, let's turn back to Theology 201. We've been talking about salvation this week, what it is, and initially, what it isn't. And, and so, it's important, it's important to remember the, the backstory to salvation. This is why last week we were working on the backstory, Okay. Um, the Genesis chapters 1, 2, and, and importantly chapter 3, uh, the, the good creation, the blessedness of, of being a human made in God's image, but the brokenness, the reality, the, the tragic effect of uh, what happened in the Garden of Eden, that, that fateful choice that Adam and Eve made to take unto themselves this, this God, God's prerogative uh, to determine good and evil for oneself, and just the tragic realities, the autonomy, the, the living independent from God, the alienation that results from that from one another, but then also from God, um, and then this tendency within us to avoid responsibility. So there's, I was thinking about this yesterday, there's this really strange another manifestation, I guess, is we resist other authorities. So we want to be an authority unto ourselves, right? And so there's a, within the human family, there's a general resistance to authority. You know, we look at the government, we look at the police, we look at the teacher, we look at the principal, we look at the coach, we look at the referees, you, you name it. We look at the boss. Um, we, we look where, wherever there's somebody in a position of authority, to help guide and lead and, and give shape to an organization or, or some group, there's a tendency within that group to resist that authority. And yet within that also then, when held, you, okay, you want to be responsible for your own life, and, and then when you hold people responsible for the choices they make, they want to avoid responsibility for that. And so we resist authority and avoid responsibility. And so it's a strange phenomenon in the human family. 
Um, and so part of the victimhood is, you know, we blame the man, so to speak, right? We like to blame them and they, you know, whoever it is. They, they've made my life so hard, which is one of the ways we're showing our resistance to authority. Rather than just simply, okay, there's, somebody's got to make the decision, let's go along with it, you know, and I, so, so there's all these dynamics that are playing out because of what happened in the Garden of Eden. So we find ourselves in all kind of situations, okay? Sometimes of our own choosing, sometimes of the choosing and making of others that impact us. Sometimes, you know, like a pandemic that is beyond any human control, though, though we still complain about the authorities for not having gotten us out of or gotten us through the pandemic challenges uh, better than we have. So here's, here's what I think goes on. And this is, this is really important. I put it in red. <laughs> we want out of whatever situation we're in, whatever fix, whatever jam, whatever tricky tight spot we're in, we just want out. Okay, but God wants us out of the bushes. Okay, we we just want out of the situation, but God wants us out of the bushes. And so, <clears throat> salvation is so much bigger. Okay, it means rescue. It means deliverance. It means taking us out into the wide open spaces. It means healing or restoring, or curing, making whole again. So those, those Hebrew and Greek concepts, the, 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 the words that we talked about the other day, um, as we find them in Scripture. We, we want the rescue. We want the healing. We, want, we just want it to be better. That, so God, just fix it. <laughs> just fix it for us. God wants us out of the bushes. God wants us, God wants to heal this stuff, okay? We just, we just want, you know, we just want the situation to get better. God wants us to get better. So we, we tend to focus on the external circumstances. We just want to be comfortable again. We want to be safe again. We want to have convenience again. God wants us to, so we want the external world to change. We want the external circumstances or environment to change. God wants us to change. <laughs> and so the, the various images of salvation all wrap around the human condition, some effect of the fall. And, and we're not paying attention to that so much. So... Um, we, we want our IRA. We just want to go to heaven and just... But we want to be able to live how we want to here as comfortably and conveniently as possible. And then we want to know that when we die, we get to go to heaven and it's all going to be better. And, and salvation is so much more than that. There, there's a, there's a, a greater here and nowness to salvation, not just a, you know, in the sweet by and by. And so, anyway... Yesterday went through a number of images of salvation that we find in the scriptures, of saying we need to avoid or guard ourselves against a very reduced and narrow. So, for instance, salvation is not just being born again. There are some who say it's only about being born again, and I would say, well, there's other images given. 
And so I'm going to talk about that in a little bit of, of why I think these various images may be presented to us. And so let me just kind of turn back to, uh, to some of these stories of salvation. So um, one image of salvation is of, of being impoverished, okay, and then coming into a delightful inheritance, okay? And so kind of the rags-to-riches motif, um, the, the, the notion of a pearl of great price, um, a, a hidden treasure that a man sells everything to go off and, and buy the field and, and, and get that treasure. So there's this, this image of our poverty and then the riches that come to us. And so inheritance is one of the themes uh, that we find in Scripture uh, for salvation. And so another is... Um, sheep and shepherd, and so we are the sheep, he is the good shepherd, and then the shepherd lays down his life, he guards us from the wolves, um, he has a rod and staff that comfort us, that, that, that in the dark valley uh, he communicates his presence with us, he leads us to good pasture and quiet water, pictures of, of uh, uh, safety and health and vitality, and so we're sheep but need a shepherd, and so that image is there, leading us to good pasture. Um, reconciliation is one of the strong themes. We certainly see that uh, very clearly. Um, Paul talks about that being reconciled to God, which is the the notion of uh, two parties being at odds with each other, being enemies in some way, and then coming together. Reconciliation is finding some way to negotiate a peace treaty as it were. Now, now it's not so much that we're an equal negotiating partner uh, with God, and so the reconciliation is initiated uh, by God, but it, it's the concept of former enemies becoming friends, becoming allies, joining together. And, and one of the pictures is sitting down at table together. And so when uh, two parties formerly at odds, they would never share a meal together, but then coming together to share a meal, that is signifying that relationship is restored. And of course, I think that's part of what's happening in the Lord's Supper. There is this, this, this shared meal that God has taken the action to reconcile us to himself, okay, so he does all the work in the, in, of the peace treaty, uh, but we're reconciled. So it's this notion that we are actually enemies of God. I don't know if we like that, but it's the idea that when Adam and Eve rebelled, it was a mutinous, uh, treasonous act, rebelling against uh, God in the garden, and so they're, they're being kicked out of the garden, escorted out, was consistent with now the, the status of their relationship. We are at odds, uh, and so, um, so there's that whole reconciliation theme. Um, there's a picture in the book of Romans of a grafting in, okay? This kind of ties back in. Yesterday I talked about the agricultural, the seed that is planted, um, the fruitfulness and the harvesting. So it's a little bit of that same theme, but a little different, talking about the Gentiles being grafted in uh, to the vine, uh, being grafted into Israel in, in some way. And then this new, so it's Jew and Gentile together now, and so there's an image there of uh, kind of, again, plant life. Um, washing and cleansing, okay, the, what, what baptism is signifying. And so 
uh, the dirt that collects the, 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 the sin, uh, the effects of, of our rebellion, uh, the, the, the things that we do, the, the filthy rags that we're wearing, as it were. Um, and then we're washed uh, from that. And so the washing and cleansing that is signified in, in a Christian baptism. Um, the orphan adoption metaphor. We have been adopted. Uh, Paul writes in the um, uh, book of Romans. Uh, John uh, picks some of this up in his first letter. Um, Behold what love the Father has given unto us that we should be called uh, the children of God. And so we're adopted into this family. And so the whole notion of family and the household of God. Household is less about the physical structure. It's, it's talking about the relational structure of, of being. Uh, and so there's a kind of a legal uh, piece that's happened that, that through Christ we are adopted sons and daughters. Uh, Jesus is the only unique son of God. But we're adopted into the family with all the legal rights and privileges there unto. And so we're heirs with Christ. That's back to this inheritance theme. Co or, or we're heirs or co-heirs with, with Christ of all the riches that God has uh, in heaven for us. Um, strong uh, image of salvation uh, is the courtroom. So the guilty verdict upon the sinner. Okay, So we violate the law of God. Um, and so we are guilty. Even if we don't feel guilty, we are guilty. Okay, so we're we're out of alignment with the, the law. And so uh, the notion of being justified to be just is to be in right relationship with the law. Okay, so justice is about uh, bringing um, a situation where, where there's a, a lack of compliance to the law, of restoring compliance and alignment to the law, and sometimes a penalty is paid, right? A fine or a prison term, there is a punishment, uh, mostly as a deterrent. It's, it's a penalty, but it's as a deterrent so that justice would be done so that we understand that laws mean something, right? And they're not just suggestions or guidelines, but but they're there for the protection of the community and the welfare of the community. And so for someone who breaks the law, that need, they need to learn that lesson so not to do it again, and then a penalty is extracted. Um, and so this whole courtroom, kind of a prosecution and defense, uh, God's, the Holy Spirit comes to convict. Okay, there's the, the kind of the prosecuting uh, attorney, as it were, bearing witness to our behavior is out of alignment with the law of God. And then the notion of Jesus as the defense attorney. He's our advocate. He's our attorney who then goes and argues for us. And, and what ends up happening is Jesus, it's not that we are pardoned, and so we're, but, but a penalty actually is paid that, that our lawyer actually does the prison term for us, as it were. So what happened on the cross, we'll, we'll talk about this a little bit more next week. Um, so this, this very strong uh, theme in, in the Pauline letters talks about being justified by faith. We're, we're brought back in alignment, not by actions that we engage in, but as Abraham did, Abraham believed God and it was reckoned to him as righteousness. And so as we believe God, we are justified, we are brought back in alignment because of the work of Jesus Christ who paid the penalty. And so 
by our faith in Christ, we are restored in right relationship. Um, God sees his own son's obedience rather than our disobedience. There's probably a little more there that I should explain. Maybe we'll try to do that next week. I love the marriage image of salvation. Um, one of Jesus' parables of the kingdom talks about the parable of the wedding banquet, and so that's given. And then uh, at the end of the book of Revelation, uh, blessed are all who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And then John sees the new Jerusalem coming out of heaven from God as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And so the whole story of the Bible back in Genesis, Genesis chapters 1 and 2, begins with a garden wedding. The man and the woman join together and they shall become one. And the man and woman were naked without shame. So that's how chapter 2 uh, concludes of, of Genesis. The man and woman in the garden join together. Um, and so what we have at the end of the story in the book of Revelation, we have the garden restored. And essentially we have another garden wedding, a wedding supper. And so this, this image of salvation as being part of this intimate union, uh, joyful union, fruitful union, the, the glad union that, that God has intended. And so, and so a, a picture of salvation is actually marriage and relationship uh, between bride and groom. And then how could we forget the picture of salvation of the runaway child... Father, I want my inheritance to give it to me now and I want to go off and, and make my way in the world. So the story of the prodigal son, as we call it. And so the runaway child who then squanders it all, spends all the inheritance, wastes all the gifts uh, that, that, that have been entrusted to him. This is a picture of our lives, all the blessings, all the blessedness that God has given and we squander all that, right? Adam and Eve squandered it in the garden, right? And then the return, uh, the, the coming to one's senses. And, and, and so um, the, the gift that that is with the father waiting and, so, and the anticipation, the father always looking and longing for the child to come home. And so this joy of, of return and, and reunion. And kill the fatted calf, we must celebrate the son of mine who was dead is now alive. And so that beautiful uh, picture that's given us uh, in the Gospels. Why are there so many different images of salvation? Why not just one? Why not just the courtroom? Because some, some, some Christians really emphasize the courtroom. You've got to confess your sins, you've got to get right, and it's, it's about the pardon. You know, Others emphasize the born again. You must be born again, and so you've got to be able to say when and where that happened to you. Some experience where you went from death to life, and all of a sudden the scales dropped like the Apostle Paul on his Damascus Road conversion. Okay, That's another image, I guess, we might talk about Damascus Road, this sudden uh, dramatic uh, experience and change. And so... Here, here's how I come at it, okay? So I'm a pastor, right? So I get in a lot of conversations with people about their lives, about usually mostly the challenges. People do share joys, it, it, and I love that. But often I get into deeper conversation when folks are struggling. Things are not going well um, for themselves, for a loved one. And, and so 
for, for the person who has been caught in addiction of some sort or substance abuse or some chain has some chains have bound them, I can tell stories of a God who breaks chains and sets free and liberates the slavery uh, to sin, the slavery to substance, the slavery to alcohol, the slavery to some you know pornography or something that, that God is a chain breaker, he's a liberator, so I can talk about that. To someone who feel like they've gone so far away from God, God could never welcome me back. I've, I've done so much, I can tell the prodigal story. Um, uh, to, uh, to, uh, to another who feel that their life hasn't amounted to anything, they, they haven't done anything great for the Lord, and as I listen to their life, well, they've been volunteering for a number of years at a local shelter, but they never saw that as a spiritual thing. And I can talk about the, the bearing of fruit, you know, the, the, the image of bearing fruit for God's glory as a sign of salvation. Um, I can talk about, well, look at all the fruit of your life. Look at all you've done to the least of these, uh, my brothers, and, and, and tell, that, and tell that, that, that story. And so the variety of images, um, so those who, who feel so dirty, you know, the, the things that they send, well, well, you know, God washes us clean. And, and so, to those who feel alienated, um, they just don't feel like they fit in anywhere, I can talk about the orphan being adopted, okay? And so, and so a lot of times in pastoral conversation, I draw on these various images that are given us in Scripture of what salvation is. It's no one of those it's the collection of them. And so like, like a single diamond with many facets, each that reflects the sun's light in some beautiful way and, and has a beauty in and of itself, each of these images, we are impoverished. We are so very poor. Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven, Jesus says. And so the, the poverty inheritance motif, um, the, the just we feel like lambs led off to the slaughter, you know, what, what's happening in this world, and we have a good shepherd who lays down his life. And so each one of these speaks to some aspect of the human condition and some aspect of the fall, the tragic effects of the fall. So the sense of being at odds and being alienated and somewhat of an enemy from God. And there are people who just, you know, shake their fist at God and then feel guilty about shaking their fist at God. And then, you know, it's talking about, you know, coming into relationship. So each of these images, the ones that we shared uh, yesterday, um, I was thinking about some more overnight. Um, the doctor, the, 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 the sick patient and the doctor. So those I've not called to come the healthy, but I've, I've come to call the sick. <laughs> okay? You know, the, those, those who are who are healthy don't need the doctor, but those who are sick do. And so Jesus pictures himself in that kind of physician-patient. Um, there's those images of separation, the sheep from the goats, the wheat from the chaff, um, the catch of fish, the good fish from the bad fish. Um, and so there is salvation is to some degree, you know, God's people feel like we're just surrounded by brokenness and wickedness, and can it all just stop? And so there is the sense of God protecting, and God will sort things out uh, in the end. Um, so, so it's this. 
So in talking about what salvation is, let's let Scripture shape our thinking. It is all of these things, all of these images of rescue and deliverance and, and healing and, and restoring and making whole uh, and getting us out of tight spots. So we want out of the tight spot. God says, I want you out of the tight spot of your sin. And so we're going to talk tomorrow uh, about um, salvation in past, present, and future. Okay, let me set the hook a little bit. The past, present, and future tenses of salvation and how Scripture uh, speaks of that. And I think that hopefully will be helpful to kind of start to fill in uh, the picture a little bit of what salvation is. So, so let's close our time with prayer. Again, uh, remind you, uh, we're asking to re you to register for the um, outdoor Vesper service by tomorrow, by Friday afternoon. That would be helpful for our planning uh, if you can go ahead and register on the church website or give the, the office a call or drop an email to office at greenwichprez.org. So let's pray. Merciful God, we thank you for these images and pictures of salvation, of rescue, of deliverance, of restoration. Be it the runaway child, the prodigal son, come home. Be it uh, a vine grafted in that can bear fruit, being brought into something that is so much longer and deeper and larger, which is what you've done for us. You've grafted us into this long story of salvation through Abraham's family. Thank you for the image of adoption and uh, pulling us in, drawing us in. Orphans that we were because of our sin uh, brought into the family. In our own poverty, you have made us rich through Jesus Christ, the riches of his grace and glory now given to us. And so, Lord, help us uh, to understand these images more fully and to understand salvation more robustly that we may worship you um, more fully, <laughs> that we may follow you uh, more obediently. And to be the people of God, that covenant family that you intend for us to be. And so for whatever situation we're in, Lord, save us, help us, heal us, restore us, rescue us, uh, even today. And so show favor to the Greenwich family, to those in need, in body, mind, or spirit. Show favor to those uh, from our church family and within the community who labor to keep us safe and, and protected and healthy in the community. Lord, we ask for those who bear the awesome responsibility of decision-making, thinking of school boards that are making decisions uh, these, these days and the impact of those decisions on families. Lord, we, we pray your kindness and patience. And so in all things, Lord, help us to lift our eyes unto Jesus, the author, perfecter, the pioneer of our salvation. And in him, Lord, we make our prayer. And through his name, we make our prayer, even as he taught us to pray together, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name and thy kingdom come and thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. 
For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. May the God who loves you and has adopted you and has healed you and rescued you and delivered you and welcomed you back home, may that God be with you and keep you this day and forevermore.